0: Galatians chapter 3, verse 15 through 29. One of Mark Twain's most popular novels was published somewhere around 1881, 1882. It was entitled The Prince and the Pauper. It's a tale of two boys. One of them is a pauper, a poor boy um, of the streets. His name is Tom Canty, lives with his abusive father in the city of London. The other boy is Prince Edward, he is the son of King Henry VIII, and by chance they meet one another, and they discover that they are virtually identical in their appearance, almost like twins, and so they decide to exchange places. Prince lives in poverty with uh, Tom's father, while the pauper lives in luxury in the palace, Now, if you haven't read the book, maybe you've seen the movie, you've seen an adaptation of it. There's been many, many uh, versions of it on the screen. So I don't want to spoil the story for you, but when you read a book like that, it makes you wonder what would it be like? What would it be like to go from being an orphan to being poor to being a child of the king? To go from eating scraps to A splendid palace where you enjoy the finest food. You have constant access to the most powerful man in the kingdom. Well, of course, it'd be a little too late for us. Um, None of us in here would qualify as a child. And I'm assuming, unless we're surprised one day, that there's no royal blood that flows through our veins. But the gospel says that it is never too late to become a child of the king. Not an earthly king but a heavenly king. John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13 tells us that as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, or the will of God. This mic just left me. <laughs> children of God, sons and daughters of the highest king in the universe. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a child of God? Well, that's what I want to explore with you tonight as we read through Galatians chapter 15 verse, excuse me, Galatians chapter 3 verse 15 through 29. Would you stand with me, please? In honor of our Lord and his word, begin reading along behind me. Verse number 59, the word of God says, brethren, I speak in the manner of men, Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it, not to Abraham and his seed, where the promise is made. He does not say, "And to seeds," as of many, but as of one, "And to your seed, who is Christ." And this day, I say—excuse me—and this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before God, but confirmed by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance of the law is of the law, it is no longer a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Pray with me. Our Lord, this passage of scripture is so full of your blessing. And Lord, I I do not have time but just to skim over it. But Lord, even that skimming can just reveal such treasures. I know you revealed those treasures to me as I sought you and studied. And I just pray you'd help me. Help me tonight to uh, point those out to my brothers and sisters. and, And Lord, even do more than what I can do. Do what your spirit can do and bring comfort and correction, bring joy and guidance from the word of God that is so precious to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Let me give you a quick Bible reading tip. A lot of times we read the Bible like we read newspapers or anything else. We read it what some people call linearly. And that means in a line, a straight line, this verse, this verse, this verse, this verse, and everything kind of falls along. Well, the Bible isn't always written that way. Sometimes it has a different uh, organizational structure. This is one of those times. You've got to think about this, the verses that I just read to you, like a wheel. Um, At the center of the wheel, there's a hub, and there are spokes that come out from that wheel. The hub of the wheel is verse 26, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That's everything in a nutshell what Paul is trying to say here. He's trying to help these churches in Galatia understand that becoming a child of the king and living like a child of the king is not about keeping rules. It's not about keeping the law. It's about God's grace. It's about our faith. And the central point is that you're a child of God by faith in Christ. Coming out from that hub, there are some spokes, kind of the implications of this idea. And I want to run through these with you. First of all, Paul says in verse 15 through 18, you are a child of promise. You are a child of promise. I read a statistic the other day that says around 15% of the couples in the United States cannot have children. Circumstances beyond their control means that they cannot biologically give birth to a child. Now, a lot of us don't understand how devastating that can be. You have a couple together that really want a child, and they find out they can't have one. It just just can really just tear them apart. Um, One of those couples would know exactly how that feels. Um, Abraham and his wife Sarah, when they get married, They're probably like every other couple. They're looking forward to the pitter patter of many little feet. But you've got to imagine as they, after they get married, Abraham turns 30. No child. Abraham turns 40. No child. Abraham turns 50. Then he turns 60. And finally he reaches the age of 75. And what he's thinking in his mind is it's too late. Me and Sarah will never have a child. Sarah thinks the same thing. But just when they give up on having kids of their own, God makes this shocking announcement in Genesis 17, 19. He tells Abraham, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son. You shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants or his seed after him. Now, he doesn't just say, Abraham, you're going to have a son. He says, you're going to have descendants. You're going to have not only a son, you're going to have grandchildren and you're going to have great-grandchildren and your line is going to continue. And that's not all. In Genesis 22, 18, he says, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Well, verse 15 through 18, Paul is unwrapping this. He calls it a covenant. In other words, God makes a promise to Abraham. Uh, but it, the promise is not just to Abraham. The promise is to his seed with a capital S. Not seeds, but seed. In verse 16, it says, Now to Abraham and his seed where the promises made, he does not say unto seeds as of many, but as of one. And to your seed, and then he identifies the seed. Who is Christ? Many centuries after Abraham dies, God gives his law to the descendants of Abraham, the nation of Israel. And that is another covenant. But what Paul says here is this second covenant does not annul the first covenant. It does not, uh, it does not cancel the covenant God made with Abraham. The law that, give, that was given to Moses does not cancel out the promise given to Abraham. God makes a covenant with childless Abraham and he blesses the whole world through his seed. And his seed is Christ. What is the blessing? that comes through that seed, you go back to the hub. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. God gives Abraham and Sarah a child of promise named Isaac. Through Isaac, he gives another child of promise, his son Jesus. And through Jesus, God makes us children of the promise. You see, you and I were born paupers. We were born so deep in debt, we could never pay our way out. But through the seed of Abraham, by believing in Christ, you are a child of promise. Read about a doctor that told a lady and her husband, Marcia and Tom Mark, that they would never have biological children. And of course they were devastated, they were heartbroken. But Marcia clung to a friend's words. A friend told her, somehow God's going to use your struggle for his glory. Marcia began to pray, Lord, show me. Show me a glimpse of your glory. Six months later, Marcia makes an appointment. She makes an appointment for another pregnancy test. And the doctor refuses to give it to her. He said, Asking for another pregnancy test indicates you are not accepting things as they are. Finally, she talks him into it. The test comes back positive. Over the next 14 days, she has four more tests, three more sonograms. And Marcia says, I think this time the doctor is having trouble dealing with facts. On October 22, 1996, her daughter Amanda Joy is born. She said, we call her Miracle Mandy. Now, not every infertile couple has this kind of happy ending. And it's not because they don't pray enough and it's not because they don't believe enough. God has his own good reasons for what he does. What I want to impress on you is this. If you have been born again through faith in God, you are a miracle child. You are a child of promise. You are a child of the king. As many as received them, to them he gave the right to become children of God Who believe in his name, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You didn't earn your spot at the table. You're not a child by achievement. You're a child of grace. You're a child of promise, and you're a child of the king. There's another spoke in this wheel. It comes to us in verses 19 through 25. You are a child who needs a tutor. On well, March 11th, 1830, there's a little English girl is doing her lessons with her teacher. That lesson that day is about the royal family, British royal family. And the little girl is studying this genealogical chart and discovering who was king and queen and who will be king or queen. And suddenly it dawns on her. She realizes that she is next in line for the throne. And at first she weeps, but then she composes herself. And she says to her tutor, if I am going to be queen, I will try my best to be good. That motivated Queen Victoria to live life on a higher level. Paul says this is similar to what the law does, except it doesn't motivate us to do better. It shows how much we failed. Verse 19 says, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions. Now, the word transgressions there is different from the word for sin. The word transgressions, you could, you could translate it as trespass. You are crossing a boundary. You are crossing a forbidden line in the sand. It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. We have all trespassed. We've gone where we had no right to go. We've gone beyond the borders of what is right. And the law of God was added to point that out to us, to make it abundantly clear, to convict us. Added because of transgressions. Whose transgressions? Well, Brother Mike, the transgressions of the world. Let's bring that down a little bit. It was added because of your transgressions was added because of my transgressions until, until the seed, until Jesus came. That the promise of faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which should be revealed. The law is given to zoom in on your guilt, to show you not just how sinful you are, but to show you how desperately you need a savior. That's why Paul calls the law our tutor. He says in verse 24, the law was our tutor, not to condemn us, not to bury us, but to bring us to Christ that we might be justified. What's that next word? We might be justified by faith, by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. Now, everybody look up here for a second. I want you to understand something. The law of God was not meant to condemn us. It was meant to convict us. Now, for everybody that does not believe in Jesus, it will be condemning. But for all of us that do, the law was meant to convict us, to give us a guilty verdict, not from God, but from our own hearts. And it was meant not just to convict us of our sin. It was meant to drive us to Jesus. Now, Paul isn't saying, well, you get saved, you're a child of God. You don't have to worry about the law anymore. You can just kind of do what you want to do. No, it still works. It's still teaching us to go back to Jesus. It is still teaching us how sinful we still are and how much we need to come back to Jesus. We need him not only to save us, but to change us and to keep us. We still need that Savior just as desperately. As when we got saved, the Holy Spirit uses the law to convict you, not condemn you. Connect that back to the hub of the message in verse 26. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Keeping the law of God does not make you a child of God, but it does point you to Christ. It reminds you how guilty and hopeless you are without him. And it enables you to live on a higher level. Helps you live as a child of the king. One more thing about being a child of God I want you to see. It's in verse 26 through 29. You are a child with a new identity. Becoming a child of the king brings a lot of changes. Those two boys that switch places, that's one of the interesting things about the story is they think, you know, the, the poor boy thinks he knows what being a prince will be like. But he's very surprised. He finds out it's not a piece of cake. The king thinks that it'll be pretty easy, or the prince thinks it'll be pretty easy to occupy this poor boy's shoes. He finds out it's not. Becoming a child of God brings a lot of changes in you. It brings you a new heart, a new direction, new desires. The way verse 27 pictures it is, for as many as you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, baptism, is a picture of identifying with Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. You die to sin, your old self is buried, you're resurrected to a new life. And Paul uses this phrase, putting on. And the word putting on there means dressing up. Just as the clothes you wear reflect who you are, so your life reflects who Jesus is. Now, Be careful you don't misinterpret that. I don't think anybody would, but I want to cover all my bases here. There is no such thing as holy clothing, okay? There is no such thing as some particular type of clothes that God likes, and you better be sure you're wearing it. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about your soul. He's talking about your spirit. What's happening in your heart? What's happening on the inside in your mind and your heart? It shows up in your words and your attitudes and your actions, and it identifies you as belonging to Christ and belonging to his people. Look in verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Now he is not saying that we don't have any differences, that there's not any difference between men and women or between Jews and Greeks, between anybody else. What he's saying is your identity is not your background. It's not your economic class. It's not your gender. Your identity is summed up with one word, and that word is Christian, a follower of Christ. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You belong to the king. You're a child of the king. You are identified with the king. It's funny how many names we all have. You know, if I went through all mine. Uh, one name I have is hubby. And there's only one person that calls me hubby and gets away with it. Some people call me dad. Some people call me son. Members of my immediate family call me Michael. Some people call me preacher. Some people call me pastor. Sometimes people will call you names that you really didn't want to hear. But it's like the man said, it's not what they call you, it's what you answer to. If you believe in Jesus, then your identity is grounded in him. You are a Christian. That's what makes you a child of the king. The story is told of a king sitting in his throne room, holding a very important council with his advisors, noblemen, high ministers of state, all the important leaders of the kingdom. They're trying to do some very serious business. And suddenly, there's a bang on the door. The door comes flying open. All eyes turn to the door being burst open. And this young boy runs into the room. And one of the guards is chasing him hard as, they, hard as he can. And the guard says, hold on there, lad. Don't you know you're disturbing the council of the king? And the little boy laughs. He said, he's your king. But he's my daddy. If you're a believer, that's true about you. He is your king. But he is also your heavenly father. These verses tell you how to become a child of the king. But they also tell you something about how to live like a child of the king. You're a child of the king. You are a child by promise. Which means you don't have anything to brag about. You don't have anything to be proud of. Some people... Let that awful, terrible infection of self-righteousness grab hold of them. And they look down on other people, especially other people that sin in ways that they don't. And they try to think, you know, well, I must be a pretty good person, you know, for God to love me and God to save me. It had to be because I was a good person. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. It was in spite of how sinful you were. You're a child of the king by promise. You don't have anything to brag about yourself, but you have a lot to brag about him. You have a lot to brag about his grace and his love and his mercy. You're a child of the king. You are still being tutored. You don't have any right to live as you please. You are still learning lessons, not only about your sin, but how much you need the Savior. You're a child of the King. You have been given a new identity. You are not the person you once were. You are connected to the King. Revelation 21, 7 says, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Being a child of the king is a comfort, and it's a challenge, and it's a promise. Are you living like a child of the king? Bow your heads with me, please.